Good morning. Yesterday we went to uh, our 33rd family reunion. I was born and raised in Modesto. That's where I met Shelley. And as far as I know, I think she was born and raised there too. Yes, I know that. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of her family uh, comes from the Modesto area. And, uh, and now family that used to be pretty much centralized in the Modesto area is all over the place, all over California for sure and some beyond that. But we have this reunion, which really is kind of a communion. But we have a reunion every year in August and family comes. And it, it was just impressed upon me and I was thinking about Sunday mornings are a reunion too, a communion. You know, when we, uh, we come together as uh, the family of God, just like once a year the clan or the tribe comes together as a family. And I know that's not common to do every year, but it was impressed upon me how powerful and how profound it is that we get together, we, we, you know, we introduce all the new little children to the family, uh, all the little nieces and nephews and now grandnieces and grandnephews, and, and we almost need to na wear name tags because, you know, from the matriarch and patriarch came the five daughters and son and then the children, I mean, just from the son came Shelley and her three sisters and now... You know, they've all got children with children, and so it's a big clan, but it's a, such a precious time, and the hugs around and the time together, and it didn't seem like we've been apart, but it, it, it was impressed upon me how precious it is to our sense of identity as a family and to see one another and the effort that goes in to getting together and fellowshipping and catching up and remi remembering who we are and what establishes us. And even when we pray together, um, what a bond that, that, you know, the fact that we acknowledge the Lord is reflected throughout the family and uh, honored when we get together. So I thought that's important to what we do. You know, it takes discipline. People put work into making that happen. And there are some members of the family that don't come every year and they're deeply missed. It's just as, it's important to see them. Just as sometimes we don't always connect on Sunday with, but just to see one another uh, across the way uh, is a part of sensing that identity that we have together in the family of God and to have that time together, that sense of connectedness. It doesn't always come easy. It isn't always something that just, you know, kind of falls into place. But by making it a priority, it proves to be very precious to our sense of who we are and vice versa. And so um, today, this is a reunion a weekly reunion. It's a time of communion, and especially today we actually acknowledge uh, the very special, unique, profound foundation of why we are a family, and that is Jesus Christ, his death for us, and the fact that we, because of Jesus, can, like him, call 
God, our Heavenly Father. Well, this morning, I want to focus our attention again on prayer, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And so, please take your Bible. I'd like to read it together. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This story, uh, as we continue in the parables of Jesus, simple stories, daring truths. This story, this parable has a situation. And it's the setting of the story that makes the parable and the point of the parable so interesting. That's my opinion, but I hope you'll share it. Uh, the occasion, you see, of this story floods the entire meaning of the parable with light. And it really tells us the point of the parable. And in verse 1, we're told that the point of the parable is to always pray and not let up, not give up, not lose heart, not grow weary. It's that same expression that Paul talks about in other places, you know, don't grow weary in well-doing. This is the idea of somebody just kind of eventually saying, I don't need this anymore, or I'm too tired to do this, where I've got other things to do and they're more important. He says, always pray and don't give up. That is what the point of the story is. And the situation helps us not only to understand the point of the story, but the importance of prayer. And that's what I want to bring to our attention this morning. When he finishes the story, when, and when our Lord finishes the story, he, he draws our attention to some things because the story is about a woman. She's a widow. And, and widows were often vulnerable they were weak. They could be easily taken advantage of. They didn't have someone to stand up for them. And so they were, they were among the least. 
and the overlooked and often the oppressed. And this widow has one who has taken advantage of her and she has sought justice in court. But in this court, the judge, the one who renders a verdict, is unjust. In fact, two times we're told that the judge does not fear God and has no respect for others. Well, that is very important because that tells us that this judge does not love God and does not love his neighbor because that's really the same thing. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't have respect for you or me or anyone else. His life, his sense of right and wrong is entirely, you see, conditioned by himself. It's what he wants, what he needs, what's in his best interest. The world revolves around him. It's all about him because he has no fear of God nor respect for anyone else. Jesus even calls him the unjust judge and he calls his disciples to hear what he says. He says, what did the unjust judge say? The unjust judge said, I'll give her justice because she persists, she consists of standing up for her right. What is right? She wants a judgment of justice, and he doesn't want to give it to her because he doesn't want to be bothered by her. She's a nuisance. But that's his opinion. She just wants what's right. She wants justice. And he finally gives in because he wants her to stop bothering him with her pursuit of what's right. Now, the point Jesus goes on to make is that the least just judge is in no way like the most just God, our Father. And he describes him and he says, he will give justice. But then he says, the big question is, when the Son of Man, this is in verse 8, he says, this is the final, this is the punchline, this is the crescendo. He says, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Now, this is very telling because this setting, this situation into which Jesus told his disciples a story begins back in the previous, what we call the previous chapter, but it's just all of one piece of cloth. So let's go back to chapter 17. In verse 20 of chapter 17, some religious leaders, the Pharisees, come to Jesus and they would like to know about the timetable of the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus says to them, he says, uh, look, we don't look for the kingdom here or there. He says, behold, <laughs> this may come as a surprise to you, but the kingdom is in your midst. And that's because the, when the ruler, wherever the ruler is, there's the kingdom. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. And Jesus is right there in their midst. He says, the kingdom, behold, is in your midst. But then he turns from the religious leaders to his disciples. And this is what he says in 
chapter 17, verse 22. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, when Jesus uses this expression, Son of Man, and by the way, these are the bookends, so to speak. In other words, this discussion with his disciples, which was inaugurated by the question about the kingdom of God and its coming, he says, the kingdom's right here in your midst. He turns to his disciples and he says, what about when I'm not in your midst? Because Jesus uses the expression Son of Man as the characteristic self-designation that he uses for himself. I remember when I first, uh, um, I mean, when, when, <laughs> when I f- first had the responsibility of pastoring a church so many years ago, when people started calling me pastor, that really felt a little uncomfortable for me. I didn't say that, but that's what I felt because I'm more accustomed to John. When, when I talk about myself, I don't refer to myself as pastor. I just call myself John. That's, that's my self-designation. That's how I think about myself. That's who I am. Jesus used Son of Man more than any other title or description to refer to himself. Son of Man. And he used it of his humanity, his lowliness, his servanthood, his his current ministry while on earth. But he also used it of his return coming in the clouds with the angels of God. It was a a victorious coming. The Son of Man, in that use, went all the way back to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And here, when he says, A time is going to come when you're going to long for one of the days of the Son of Man. What he's alluding to is when I'm not going to be with you. And then he goes on to say, and I want to share this with you just for a moment. You you really need to hear what he has to say. He says, and they'll say to you, verse 23, look there or look here, but do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, when the Son of Man comes, you won't have, nobody's going to have to tell you where he is to be found because his coming is going to be as bright and glorious and majestic as when the sky is lit up by bolts of lightning. You won't have to look for him. He'll be obvious. But he says first, and this is in the next verse, first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now Jesus is talking about the fact that the cross yet lies before him. And it's on that cross that he will suffer. The religious leaders, all those who are the leaders of Israel, will reject him. They won't accept who he is. They won't look up to him. They'll look down on him. And by their sentence, so to speak, they will reject him. And nothing is more lowly or ignominious or dishonorable than the cross. 
What a contrast, he says, between the Son of Man, what lies ahead, and when he returns. But he goes on. And he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And he paints a situation, first of Noah and then of Lot. He says, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage in the day when, Noah entered the, when, when he entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, they were just carrying on, totally oblivious, absorbed, preoccupied with, you know, worldly life. No thought beyond. Then he goes on, he says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So he's painting a picture of the sudden day of the Son of Man. Do you see that? People were just going on with their lives, preoccupied with finding their place in this world. Really finding, you know, their footing and, and being well positioned in, the, in this world. Making the most of it, being successful. And then suddenly, suddenly to their surprise, in a way that they did not expect. As it was in the day of Noah, as it was in the day of Lot, so it will be in this day of the Son of Man. When he will come like light flashing, flashing in the sky. And then he says in verse 30, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. Then he goes on to describe that day. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. In other words, this is not a time where you're able to kind of go in and gather up your things. For example, if the smoke alarm goes off and you realize that your house is on fire, you don't have the time to run around the house and get all your belongings. This is a sudden thing that he's describing. He pictures somebody in a house situation or in a field situation. And then he says, remember Lot's wife. It's one of those short verses in the, in the scripture. If you've never memorized a verse before, this would be one to start with. <laughs> remember Lot's wife. You know, Jesus is telling his disciples, they knew the situation. Lot, his wife, his family, had heeded the warning, and they had taken it to heart. They left the city. They separated themselves. But she turned back. And, of course, we're told it cost her her life. She couldn't let go. She couldn't truly separate. That's hard for us all, and yet Jesus emphasizes it in the very next verse. Because to his disciples, he's saying when he says, remember... He says, you know, really take the lesson of her to heart. And then he says, whoever seeks to serve it, preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. That was not a rare message of Jesus to his disciples on other occasions. He talked about taking up the cross and following him. The idea of losing your soul to gain the world. What a loss indeed. 
He was calling his disciples to allegiance, to full commitment. And that's a challenge because we are, you know, really rooted in this world. And Jesus is is saying, in a sense, just as it was in Noah's day and just as it was in Lot's day, there's a way in which we can be absorbed into the generation. You know, in wanting to find our place in this world and be successes and get ahead and have the things of this world and achieve and accomplish and prepare for retirement and the generations to come in, all of this building and achieving and accomplishing, sometimes we can lose our own soul. We can get lost before the Lord. Or he can be so distant that he doesn't have any practical presence in our lives in the day-to-day affairs. And we can find such a place in the world, yet the world is finding a place in our hearts, in us. And what we're going to realize here is when Jesus puts this emphasis on prayer through this story, in effect he's saying that through prayer... We find a place in God, and God finds a place in us. Prayer is vital to our life in the Lord, and very, very important. He says in uh, verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and another left. There's going to be judgment. People's allegiances will determine where they are with the Son of Man, where they are when the ruler comes, when the king appears. And those even who are as close as those who sleep in the same bed will be separated by this allegiance, whether we're, so to speak, aligned and our allegiance is with the with so to speak the ungodliness the wickedness the 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 injustice of this world as opposed to the godliness the holiness the rightness the goodness of our relationship with the lord and then in the final verse he says uh, And they said to him, where, Lord? Because in this passage, there's this idea of when and where, when and where, when's the time, what's the timetable, and and where's this all going to take place? And, And Jesus says to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, when you see a a grouping, a collecting, a gathering of vultures in the air, you know there's a corpse on the ground. And Jesus is just saying, (laughs) just as you know where something is, he says, you're going to know when I come. You don't need to know where, you'll know where when I come. And then, verse 1, he he goes right into this. There's no chapter divisions in the original, you know, situation. And he goes right into this, this story about the widow who seeks justice from an unjust judge. And that is contrasted. And this touches on something very dear to us, I think. Because what Jesus is emphasizing is to, that we always, always pray and never let up. 
because it is telltale of our faith. Prayer is an indication of our, prayer, of our faith. It's, it's telltale of our understanding, our view of the Lord and of our identity. I loved uh, this morning the emphasis on the discipline of noticing because Jesus, in effect, is saying prayer is kind of the natural outcome of noticing with a, you know, with a godly heart or with a, with a relationship with God because prayer ought to flow. Communication with God ought to flow out of what's going on around us, what we notice. Not something that we do just at set times, although if that helps us to pray, then we ought to do that. But I'm not talking so much about position or place. I'm just talking about a rich communication with God where, where we don't have to be so much <laughs> slapped into thinking about God, God is, is just present to us. And, and in a sense, we can pray with our eyes and with our ears, with our hands, because in a sense, God is that immediate to us in all that we do, see, and hear. And we talk to Him. We discuss things with Him. I... I think about that reunion and how being together brings sharing of the heart. You know, we, we meeting up with members of the family, it seems like we, we get together much sooner. It's because we get together regularly, even though it's all only once a year. But then when we do talk, we're, we're just right back where we were. There's deep friendship, even among biological members of the same family. Um, Shelley and I have been married, we're push, well, we've known each other over 40 years. We talk more and more. It's communication. We share our hearts with one another. We share our ideas. We share our aspirations, the way we see the world. We talk about spiritual things together. It's a very vital to a relationship to communicate, you know, to, to be intimate in, emo, in an emotional way. That's why prayer you know, I don't want you to just think of prayer as something that happens when you're on your knees or when you fold your hands, you know, assuming a certain posture or going to a certain place. Prayer is, prayer is you almost, it kind of almost begins with your awareness that God is, is as close to you as your breath, that he's present with you. He's not over the rainbow or beyond the mountain or across the ocean. He's, he's here right now. Sometimes when we come into worship, we're coming into his presence as a community. It's not that he's here and not elsewhere, but there's, there's a holiness created by the fact that we've come together in his name and in his presence. And yet, sometimes it's, it's like we have to be reminded of him when we get here. But I, 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 what Jesus is saying is prayer Prayer is going to sustain your faith. 
Prayer is going to be an indication of your faith. It's, it's going to be telltale of your relationship with God, whether God is real to you or not, whether he exists for you or not, whether your God is a, is a great God or a small God, whether he's the God of everything or just the God of other people's little things. Prayer, talking with him, appealing to him, recognizing him, and in this context, it's not only a great indication of faith as Jesus is challenging his disciples and challenging us as his disciples to be faithful to him in this generation that wants to suck us in and swallow us up, that wants to so overwhelm the distinctives of Jesus Christ in our life that we look just like the world, care just like the world. Nothing different between us and the world. And in that sense, then, we've lost this, this unique vision of who God really is. And in this setting, Jesus is saying, look, you may long for the... For even one day of, of, you know, of the Son of Man, long to see just one day when I'm with you in this period between my death and my return. And you may see injustice. You may be in the midst of a generation that's just going about its business as though I don't even exist. And you set your eyes each and every day upon all kinds of injustice, cruelty, and wrong. But the very fact that you recognize that it's wrong, that you abhor it, is due to that relationship with me. And I want you to never forget, I'm a just God. And I will bring justice. I will decide right and wrong. I'm not like the unjust judge. More than that, Am I just? And I see this woman and her tenacity. It's the unjust judge that sees her as a nag. Don't be put off by that. She's just not going to give up on what's right. And that really is the issue, isn't it? Will we give up on what's right? Or will we somehow be drawn in, swallowed up, worn down, Prayer will cease. Why should we talk to God? Maybe we won't even notice wrong anymore and appeal to Him. Maybe we won't stand for right anymore. And so Jesus says, always pray and don't let up. It doesn't have to be continuous, but realize prayer is vital. It is at the heart of our identity. Like a thermometer, it's indicative of our faith. It's indicative of our view of Him, that He is good. He will win in the end. Righteousness, goodness, what is right will be vindicated. And it is evidence of our identity. Little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power.
It's about prayer and walking with the Lord. You know what I found really interesting here is that this unjust judge is, we're told that he does not fear God and he does not respect others. Twice. And then Jesus singles him out and says he's an unjust judge to boot. But if you don't fear God and you don't respect others, that means there's no great command in your life. You don't love God and you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And what's really profound about that is it does contain the very heart of justice. Loving your neighbor is built on your love for God. Loving your neighbor as yourself is the essence of justice. Doing what's right. Treating others fairly. Showing kindness. Caring for the poor. Caring for the needy. Having a heart for it and recognizing it. That is, that is the essence. That equity, that sense of right and wrong. And it's grounded in our love for God because He is just. And we see that in the cross. I heard this week that one of the major church denominations, their approved endorsed hymnal, I think the name of the hymn was um, now I forgot it. So human. But they wanted to take out and replace the wording that talked about the justice of God in the cross. Because they just thought that people didn't like that idea that God is a God of judgment and wrath. And I want you to understand that the goodness and the holiness of God is really seen in that. And the fact of the matter is, is that in the bread and the cup, we see that God in His rich love and His justice addressed the issue of sin in our lives, injustice in our lives, in Jesus' death for us. I want to thank the guys. They're going to serve us the bread and the cup. And this morning, as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord and observe the bread and the cup, I really want us to, to realize that we are to see injustice in the world, and we should abhor it. But in the cross, we realize that injustice, the seeds of all the things that are wrong around us, those seeds are in us too. And in this bread, we remember that Jesus gave his life for each one of us because of that injustice. And in this cup, the new covenant is a realization that we can't change on our own, but we are transformed. We are changed through our identification with the cross and this new covenant that is created this new relationship that's what a covenant is this new bond that is created with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ 
That's what we celebrate in this bread and this cup. What he's done for us on the cross and who we are in our relationship with God, this new covenant. Let's take a moment, just in the quiet time, I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll take the bread and the cup. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. It's in Him. It's in the person of Jesus. It's in your presence. It's in your reality in our hearts, in our lives. Your work through your Spirit in us that, that we are energized that we are lifted and inspired and challenged and moved to, to be more than we are in ourselves. And we realize our identity is in you. And that's what we celebrate here in this bread and this cup. Father, we are so thankful. And we are to not only know the, the grief of justice one for us on the cross, but the joy of relationship one for us on that same cross, realized in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we might not be alone, but that you might be present with us to change us and make us. And so, Father, we take this bread in this cup most respectfully realizing that it is a profound confession of our faith, a renewal in which we pledge ourselves again to the truth of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he blessed, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Just in this quiet, profession of the Bible in many, many places, many, many ways, that we are in the presence of the Lord even now. That's a truth that's revealed to us. And as it settles upon you, let it shape your thoughts about Him. The way you express yourself to Him. Take indeed.
In the same way, after supper, the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In the bread, we we are reminded that we are fully acceptable, loved, and cherished by the Father because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in the cup, we fathom that we are free, alive, vested with an inheritance and a bright future. We have a new covenant, one one for us by the Lord himself, his shed blood, And it is one of joy and delight. And so in this quiet, let us apprehend that joy through gratitude, through thanksgiving, and the joy that comes with it, even the happiness. All of you drink. Such a sweet reunion, a communion. Paul recognized that. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if you will, pass the cups toward the center. Guys, thank you for picking those up. I want to take this uh, moment to remind you You could probably say it for me because I say pretty much the same thing every month, but it is worth repeating. We have the opportunity today to give to the Deacon's Fund. And what we give, we put into the hands of God. It's an opportunity to meet the needs of people who turn to the Lord, and many do, in times of trial and difficulty when they need a helping hand, even those who who have cursed the Lord will turn to him for help. And in the name of the Lord, we are able to give physical and substantial help as well as spiritual help to them. It's often that opportunity that we have to talk to them about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. So if you are able this morning to give, give and give generously. If you are a member of the family of God and you need a helping hand, please, we want to help. That's what this is for. So uh, God bless you. Will you stand? Will you do me a favor? I, I don't know if I said it well enough. It's really been on my heart this week, but I would just love to see us talking to the Lord a lot throughout the day in all kinds of situations about all kinds of things and even talking with one another about our prayer lives, learning from one another. So I, I pray that you will make prayer a greater part and give it a higher priority and a stronger role in your day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives And may God bless you. I know his presence, his power will be profound and enrich your lives.
May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May his countenance brighten your countenance and encourage you. May you walk through this day realizing who you are in Jesus Christ. May he inspire you, bring joy to you, bring purpose to your day and your week and your life. And may your future encourage your heart. May you live for him. God bless you.